0: Asia-Pacific shares are mixed this morning following an up-and-down session on Wall Street overnight. Tokyo and Sydney are trading moderately higher. Seoul is in the red. Investors have their eyes on the China Evergrande Group, which is inching closer to technical default on a bond payment that was due last month. Joining me now as we break down all the market action is Shane Oliver. He joins us live from Sydney, where he's a chief economist and head of investment strategy at AMP Capital. Good morning, Shane. Good morning. So how's the mood? What's the mood like in Sydney at the moment? This week, for the first time in months, I understand Sydney residents can travel to Melbourne without undergoing quarantine. And Melbourne is emerging from one of the world's strictest lockdowns today. So a lot opening up there as the government shifts from a strict COVID zero policy to one of living with the disease. Uh, Over the past 18 months, Melbourne residents have been under stay-at-home orders for nearly half that time. So Shane, what does this opening up mean in your view for the Australian economy now and the Aussie markets.
1: Well, there was some fear that the Aussie economy would go back into recession um, because we quite clearly would have had a contraction in the September quarter owing to lockdowns affecting uh, almost 60% of the population. But that fear is now receded. We're seeing a a reopening of the economy and that, of course, is showing up in indicators of mobility and credit card and debit card transactions. So it looks like we're going to see a, a pretty good bounce back through the current December quarter. So that's that uh, ultimately should put us back onto the recovery path we were seeing back in June. And uh, that's good news for Australians, a good news for the economy. But obviously, like many other countries around the world, including mm-hmm. Singapore, that have seen reopening, uh, there's still a focus on the case numbers. And fingers crossed that even though cases may go up from here and probably will mm-hmm. at some point as a result of reopening, I think it's crossed that hospitalisation numbers stay down and manageable. So that's probably the main uh, focus in Australia at present. Um, But apart from that, there's a lot of optimism around.
0: Good to hear. Over the past quarter, the ASX 200 has been essentially flat. Since the beginning of the year, it's been up about 12%. Where do you see it going from here?
1: Look, uh, we we had a bit of a pullback. In the last, uh, the last month or so, September was a negative month. In fact, the first negative month since September last year. Uh, September has a history of being a negative month, and not just in Australia, but in other markets as well. Okay. So we've had a little bit of a correction. Top to bottom, that fall was about six or seven percent. Uh, we do seem to be pulling out of that. We saw the US share market down a record high overnight. Uh, that's obviously providing a bit of positive sentiment for the Australian market. But obviously there are these concerns about inflation and higher interest rates globally and also in Australia. So I suspect it's going to be a bumpy ride, but I think the broad trend in markets is likely to be up. We are coming into a seasonally stronger period of of the year for share markets. as we go into year end and the start of the new year, that traditionally sees markets go up. And despite those inflation concerns, we still have very low interest rates and we're seeing... Uh, earnings go up at a reasonable pace, which I think ultimately all underpins further gains in markets. It's just it's not going to be as smooth as it was up until say
0: September. So not only can you travel to Melbourne without undergoing a two-week quarantine, Shane, you may be able to do the show with us live in Singapore soon as well. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison says a travel bubble between Singapore and Australia could be established as soon as next week. Students and business travellers are expected to be given first priority. Tourists will only be allowed later. I mean, broadly, how are people feeling about travel over in Sydney?
1: Well, I think people are pretty keen to get out there and travel again, Mm -hmm. and I suspect that provided... it doesn't lead to a huge increase in cases and problems, then uh, we'll we'll see a return to normal levels of tourism travel. Where I think uh, things will never get back to normal is business travel uh, Mm. to the same degree. I think businesses have fallen in love with Zoom and Teams and all these other things, basically video conferencing, and that I think will lead to a lower level of business travel than we used to in the past. But uh, generally speaking, Australians are pretty keen to get back out there again and travel. But, of course, there is that degree of wariness because we still hear stories about countries seeing increased cases, obviously, Singapore, UK, Israel, at least point two times. So it may take a while before it fully winds back up again. But Australian Airlines... are telling people to come back to work and putting planes back on again. So so that's
0: all good news. In other COVID-related news, a key U.S. regulatory committee has approved the use of Moderna and J&J COVID vaccine boosters. The U.S. Center for Disease Control is expected to give its final approval as early as this evening. And Pfizer and BioNTech say the latest data shows their COVID-19 booster shot restores full protection. The booster is more than 95% effective against symptomatic COVID, according to a study of some 10,000 people. Shane, what is your take on pharma companies like Pfizer that are selling COVID vaccines? Perhaps uh, those like Merck that are coming out with antiviral COVID pills, so Pfizer versus Merck?
1: I I don't have a strong view on the one versus the other, Mm -hmm. um, but it is quite clear that both uh, will benefit from this. There's going to be a portion of the population who will never get vaccinated, and also a portion of the population who are vaccinated who are still at risk. You know, older people, people with underlying health conditions. That's where the Merck uh, pill and various others that are being developed. I think Pfizer also has a, um, a COVID treatment pill. I think there's another one from Roche. So that's where they will benefit in all of this. But I don't have a strong view in terms of the relativities of them. Uh, Merck was, I guess, a bit left behind. It didn't have a, um, a vaccine. Pfizer got the lead on that one, along with Moderna and a few others. But of course, this may see a little bit of catch up uh, from Merck. But for People generally, this is all very good news because quite clearly the vaccines work, the top ups, be, the boosters work, obviously you know Singapore is starting to roll that out and Australia will start to do the same in the next month. So that's good news and meantime if you do unfortunately get coronavirus then there are now more effective treatment options than there, than there has been any time over the last 18 months. Yeah,
0: reasons for optimism there. Live from Sydney, he's Shane Oliver, chief economist and head of investment strategy at AMP Capital. I want to turn to the world of tech where shares of Snapchat's parent company Snap are down more than 20% in after-hours trade. The company's third-quarter earnings have come in well below expectations and even worse it is warning that Apple's new privacy rules are weighing on its ad revenue. Earlier this year Apple started requiring all app on its iOS 15 platform to get iPhone users permission before they could be tracked for advertising purposes and there is a study that shows consumers are only providing the apps the ability to do this 25% of the time. Shane, are SNAP's results and studies like this leading you to maybe reevaluate your view of the tech sector at all? Not really.
1: Uh, I was already a little bit skeptical. I always thought that something would come along and slow its growth rate down. Uh, if it's not government regulation, it's uh, means by which the companies themselves limit the ability of uh, advertisers and others to benefit from their users. So that's what seems to be happening here in the case of Snap and Snapchat uh, and maybe that's a, an early warning that you're going to see the similar effect across other tech companies which is why after Snap's result came out mm-hmm. other tech companies were dragged down as well. But by the same token this is not the end of the life for the, the big tech companies. They're still going to Going to benefit in the years ahead. It's just that they've run so far, Mm. uh, so far up that you have to expect that sooner or later they're going to run into a rougher time, either in the form of a consumer backlash, regulatory action on the part of authorities, obviously, we've seen a lot of that in China, and also um, the reality that they have benefited immensely from the plunging interest rates and bond yields. Now the reality is that the interest rate bond yield cycle is turning back up, but that's also a negative for tech stock. So I suspect that the opportunities for investors in the year ahead years ahead um, in a a sectoral sense will probably be beyond test. Yeah,
0: speaking of that run-up, Facebook shares down more than 4% in after-hours trade. Google's parent company Alphabet is trading lower as well, in part because Google is going to cut the fees that it charges app developers in half. So are we seeing a fundamental shift perhaps in how social media companies can make money? And if so, does this mean that their shares have been bid up too much?
1: It's quite possible that that's the case you know people still want to use these services but um when people are given the option they're they're less keen to use them in a way that makes um uh, allows those companies to make money so that's going to be a bit of a drag on their earnings growth and we're also at a point where you get to saturation globally uh, the the growth rate will slow down even if you didn't have these issues so i suspect we are starting to see a bit of a a re-evaluation here it's it's dangerous to read too much into one night's worth of trading on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Um, that, but, I, but I think it is part of a trend. We are seeing more regulation globally. We are seeing a bit of a consumer backlash. Those earlier issues with Facebook um, come to mind on that front. And of course, um, uh, people themselves are using options to limit uh, the ability of the apps to track them. So which <laughs> reduces their. Potential revenue earning ability via advertising. So there's all sorts of headrings starting to creep in here, even though um, the world. The future, the future of the world is still one which will heavily rely on technology.
0: If we look at the overall U.S. markets for a moment, Shane, the S&P 500 is trading at an all-time high. Despite some wobbly trade overnight, it finished 0.3% higher. The Nasdaq finished up as well, though the Dow closed slightly lower. It was weighed down by a steep drop in the shares of IBM, which reported disappointing earnings. Shane, as we prepare to enter the final 10 weeks of the year, what is your view overall on U.S. Stocks.
1: Well, they are expensive compared to other markets around the world, but by the same token, I am conscious, as, as is the case of Australian shares, we are coming into a stronger seasonal period for share markets. Uh, the rally often continues into January. You get that Santa Claus rally over Christmas. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with Santa Claus, of course, but uh, markets, the investors tend to feel more upbeat at the end of the year, start of the new year. So that seasonal, we're coming to a period of seasonal tailwind uh yes these worries are still around regarding you know debt ceilings in the u.s and uh chinese slowdown and um inflation but by the same token the earnings numbers are pretty good in the u.s so far just over 20 20 percent of u.s companies have reported that s&p 500 companies and 81 almost 82 percent of companies are surprised on the upside and they've been beating on average by about 13%. Mm. So, we're in, in what looks to be another earnings reporting season, which is yielding really pretty good results offsetting some of the weakness elsewhere. So, I think the trend probably remains up in shares. Um, I do think investors need to allow, though, that the easy gains are behind us. We're coming into an environment which I think is going to be a lot more volatile and a lot more constrained. But I, I do think by the end of the year, US shares will be higher than they are now.
0: Well, speaking of volatile in the world of cryptocurrencies, there was a pretty unusual event overnight. It was a flash crash on the Binance US exchange. Prices of Bitcoin plunged 87% to as low as 82 Hundred dollars. The drop did not last long before the price bounced back to the $65,000 US dollar level. I certainly would have liked to have been one of the traders that picked up Bitcoins at $8,000. Shane, tell us, how does this happen? How does an asset like Bitcoin go from $65,000 one moment to 8000 and then back again?
1: Well, that basically comes down to mistakes. Either either something went wrong at the exchange or a trader put the wrong number in. Um, I remember once I was in Singapore, in fact, in mm-hmm. May of twenty and of course uh, we had a flash crash which affected the whole US share market sometimes these are attributed to fat fingers where uh, the trader adds an extra euro or puts the decimal place in the wrong spot Uh, that then puts a trade through which overwhelms the ability of the exchange to match orders and then causes a flash crash Um, in this case here with the volatility overnight with uh, Bitcoin it was quickly corrected uh, which is good news but I think it is it is a fixer of markets and you can't blame bitcoin or the exchange that it occurred on for it 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 is something that happens unfortunately um they try to do whatever they can to avoid those things but uh, you can't rule them out from happening but it it, it doesn't have any fundamental impact and if you're a a day trader having to get caught the wrong way then yes it's horrible Um, but for most uh traders who, who But beyond that, um, uh, they probably wouldn't notice it that much and it'll be forgotten about tomorrow.
0: So as, as you rightly pointed out, a flash crash like this happened a little more than a decade ago, May 2010. So to what extent does this recent flash crash do you think undercut investor confidence? Very little, just a blip?
1: I think it's just a blip. I reckon it'll be forgotten about much as it was back in 2010. Of course, at that time, we went into worrying about the eurozone debt crisis, which then rolled on for the next few years, mm-hmm. with issues in the US as well. But I think the flash crash in this case with regards to Bitcoin will be quickly forgotten about. Obviously, regulators will want to know what caused it and the exchange involved will want to know. Um, as will traders, but uh, ultimately it's going
0: to be forgotten about, I think, pretty quickly. Right. I want to segue to the world of SPACs now, the blank check of special purpose acquisition companies because they're two very notable events overnight. So first, WeWork started trading via a SPAC listing. This is about two years after an aborted listing and its shares jumped 13% on its first day of trade. And second, a SPAC called Digital World Acquisition jumped nearly 350% on news of a merger that will provide former U.S. President Donald Trump with millions of dollars in financing to launch his new social media platform. So Shane, when you hear stories like these, do you think the SPAC market is working? Neither of these entities, WeWork and Trump's social media platform, would likely have been able to list directly on the markets in the normal fashion.
1: Well, it tells us the market's working and they're able to raise capital. Uh, question mark is whether it's in the banks of investors. It, they do remind me a bit of, uh, some of the concepts which were around at the time of the South Sea bubble, this was one of the famous uh, bubbles in financial market history, uh, one of the vehicles raised at the time lifted the purpose um, as being a purpose yet to be determined. <laughs> so it's, it's a bit like stacks um, in a way and I, I do wonder whether they're reflective of the low interest rates, pretty hot market, specialty market that to some degree we've been going through in some parts of the world. So, yes, they're, they're working, but the question is whether they're in, in long-term interest remain to be seen. Um, but anyway, that's probably all I can add on that one.
0: All right, just one more follow-up. SPACs are set to come to the Singapore market. We're still awaiting our first one. Broadly, Shane, could they give a boost to sentiment and shares here?
1: Well, I think you can argue that anything that uh, results in increased trading opportunities is to be welcomed. Um, but investors do need to be wary that these things are indicative of a world which has become somewhat more speculative. They're one getting around the normal regulatory requirements that would be involved in uh, M&A activity and takeover and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but as long as investors go in with their eyes wide open and know what they're getting into and not just trading on the back of uh, recent past gains, then yeah, I can't argue against them. It's just the reality of the market we're in.
0: Mm-hmm. Speaking of investor concerns, Evergrande is back in the news and reports say this is a make-or-break weekend for the company in terms of debt payments. Shane, how concerned are you?
1: A little concerned. I think This has been an issue for the last three weeks now. It, it obviously was forward. It had an impact on markets at the start globally as investors try to get their minds around it. Um, I, did, I did see a report that they had wired a... Um, a dollar in bond interest payment due on September 23rd um, on Thursday. So 83.5 billion million US dollar payment was made, but whether that solves the problem, I don't. I don't know. I think the reality is that uh, uh, the Chinese authorities are not going to bail. Uh, not going to bail um, ever grand out. Uh, they don't want to be seen to getting a green light to excessive debt and speculation. Um, but by the same token, they're not going to allow a disruptive um, uh, bu- uh, bankruptcy of Bitcoin. I think the more likely scenario is some sort of uh, restructuring where existing entities take over mm-hmm. um, the key activities of Evergrande, complete the buildings, and that the home buyers um, are involved in Evergrande construction activities are protected. So I think the efforts by the Chinese authorities will be designed to protect the flow on and disrupt the flow on to the rest of the Chinese economy. But uh, in the process, it's quite possible that the foreign bondholders may lose their money. Um, but I don't think this is anything on the scale of Evergrande. When you look at, uh, on the scale of Lehman Brothers rather, mm-hmm. when you look at Evergrande, I think it's something like 0.1% of total loans in china it is a big portion of the chinese offshore bond market but it should be manageable Um, i don't think it's going to cause a lehman brothers moment or anything like that Um, but at the end of the day the key is that the chinese authorities protect the rest of the chinese property market and economy and they seem to be uh, focused on doing that
0: all right, before I check in on the Singapore market, Shane, let's do a temperature check. With 10 weeks left in the trading year, which Asian market do you think has the best value and the best chance of rising further before years end?
1: Well, to be honest, it's probably the cyclical ones, cyclical markets, the markets that will benefit most from increased global economic activity and trading uh, Probably Korea, I think, would be the one I'd be most optimistic on. I think all markets in Asia would go up as long as the US market continues to head higher and the global recovery continues, and then the trend will remain up in Asia as well. But I, I would suspect that the Korean market would probably be a key beneficiary of that and probably a relative outperformer.
0: All right. Well, great speaking with you as always, Shane. Thank you. Shane Oliver joining us live from Sydney. He's Chief Economist and Head of Investment Strategy at AMP Capital. We are now 25 minutes into the local trading day. The Straits Times Index finished down 0.3% yesterday at 3,188. This morning, it is starting off in the green. It is currently trading up 0.36% at 3,200 points. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. All right, let's check in on the Singapore market. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.